0: The Freedom Dividend Podcast represents my opinion on financial markets, investing, economics, and politics. All information disseminated on the podcast is not investment advice. Anyone seeking financial advice should look to contact a licensed broker or industry-registered financial advisor. This morning, we got the February CPI print. We had inflation surge 7.5% annually from last January to this January even more than expected, and the highest inflation number since 1982. That was a high print that everyone was expecting, but still blew away all of the economists' expectations. We also got weekly jobless claims, which declined to 223000 as we see uh, more people returning to the labor market. But the CPI month over month, we saw a 0.6% increase. And again, year over year, January to January, we had an increase of 7.5%. And this really is causing problems for the markets and for the Federal Reserve, as well as political problems for the Biden administration. Now, the reaction in the markets to this was an immediate jump in bond yields. The US 10-year Treasury Topped over 2% for the first time since 2019 and also saw its one day, uh, uh, its biggest one day spike in yields ever. Uh, And this was a very big reaction. Stocks took this very, very poorly. They opened the day down. The NASDAQ in particular was down over 2% to start the trading session. Then stock shrugged off the spike in yields and actually rallied to be slightly positive on the day before finishing highly negative on the day. Uh, The Dow Jones finished down 1.4%, S&P 500 down 1.8%, and the NASDAQ particularly finished down over 2% on the day. And the big move intraday from rallying back to falling down over 2% on the NASDAQ was caused by very hawkish remarks by the Fed's James Bullard, which I'll get into in a moment. But gold also saw a lot of volatility today. We started the day at about 1830. Gold rallied to start the day up above 1840 and also participated in the sell-off after James Bullard's comments. But to go over the CPI reading, we saw real earnings for workers increased by just 0.1% on the month when when accounting for inflation. Because we got the CPI print plus the other day we got hourly earnings. But on the day, CPI again was up 0.6%. And the core CPI, which strips out food and energy, also was an increase of 0.6% for the month of uh, January. Now, When we look into where the costs rose, costs for vehicles, uh, which have been one of the biggest inflation contributors uh, since the surging uh, prices in spring 2021, uh, used car prices were up 1.5%. And again, that's in just one month. But also food prices were up 1% on the month. Airline fares were up 2.3% on the month. And we're seeing uh, rents only increased on the month by 0.3%. Now, of course, this isn't the real rents that are being charged in the economy. This is owner's equivalent rent, where the government surveys homeowners and asks them what they would charge to rent out their home. So it's not a real number. But again, we're seeing price increases across the board in all industries, oil continuing to surge. Uh, Oil finished the day uh, down slightly, it's still at 89.60 per barrel. Again, continuing to go towards seven-year highs, and we're continuing to see much, much hotter inflation. And the narrative that inflation is transitory continues to get weaker and weaker for economists that think we're going to hit peak inflation soon. They keep saying we're going to hit peak inflation, and then we keep getting CPI prints that are higher and higher than expectations. Now, Earlier last week, I also want to go over, we got the non-farm payroll, which actually was a huge beat. We were only expecting to add 110,000 jobs, and instead we added 467,000 jobs. So it was a very strong non-farm payroll report. And we also got big revisions to prior months non-farm payroll reports. So we actually added a lot more jobs than I expected over the past few months. Uh, Now, most particularly last Friday in the non-farm payroll report, leisure and hospitality added 151,000 of those jobs in January. Healthcare employment increased by 18,000 jobs. Um, There were gains in retail, professional and business services, and also in transportation and warehousing and wholesale trade. Uh, Manufacturing added 13,000 jobs, but construction employment fell by 5,000 jobs. And government added 23,000 jobs. So again, like most of the non-farm payroll reports that we've received over the past year, most of the jobs that are being added are either in leisure and hospitality or in government. Very few manufacturing jobs. And again, it's because we have a service sector economy. But I think one of the reasons for why we saw a lot of people re-enter the labor market over the past few months is because a lot of the asset prices in the economy are coming down, right? We have stocks in correction territory. Housing prices are starting to slow down. And so the wealth effect is starting to reverse itself, as I've been talking about in the economy. But with that, as we continue to see higher and higher inflation costs, again, inflation up 7.5% year over year, and that's just how the government measures it. Inflation is really up much higher than that year over year. So I think we're starting to see a lot of people are struggling to make ends meet as the cost of living is continuing to skyrocket. And so a lot of people are re-entering the workforce. Maybe one, parent, one uh, work, working parent households are turning into two parent working households. And also maybe people that have been on the sidelines for a while are deciding they need more income, or maybe people are picking up two jobs to make ends meet. But again, this is highly inflationary. And we see that the a lot of the economy is starting to slow in other areas other than unemployment. And again, this is going to be very problematic for the Federal Reserve that has to deal with higher inflation in the future because it's continuing to rise. Now, we also got the other day, average hourly earnings month over month, and again, there was a 0.7% increase in average hourly earnings, and but the CPI had a rise of 0.6. So real average hourly earnings only increased by 0.1%. And again, those have really been declining over the past year because the cost of living is rising much higher than workers' wages and salaries. But again, the biggest part of the market reaction to today's CPI was the spike in bond yields. The 10-year treasury yield topped 2% for the first time since 2019. And remember where we were in 2019. Remember, going into 2019, the Federal Reserve had just started its rate hiking cycle to tighten monetary policy and try to normalize interest rates. And remember, When they did that at the end of 2018, the markets had their worst December in stock market history, and the Fed then had to reverse course and go back to quantitative easing. And again, this was the sharpest one-day rise in 12 years for U.S. 10-year treasury yields. Now, with the uh, CPI data coming out much bigger than expected, again, many Uh, commentators and financial analysts and economists have been projecting that we're going to hit peak inflation and that inflation was going to come down somewhat this year on its own. And now that we're seeing that that is not true, a lot of the markets and the Federal Reserve in particular is starting to panic. So Steve Leisman covered this, but now 54% of market participants are expecting a 50 basis point rate hike in March. And again, we were only expecting a 25% or a 25 basis point increase in March. Now they're expecting a 50 basis point increase in March immediately. And some market participants are even expecting an emergency rate hike this week. So this is really changing the narrative in the markets. Again, a lot of people are now starting to realize how far behind the curve for fighting inflation, the Federal Reserve is. And again, there's nothing they can do to catch up here because we're at 0% interest rates. Inflation is 7.5%. And if you're going to fight inflation, you need real positive interest rates, which means interest rates have to be above 7.5%. And that's higher than interest rates have been since the uh, dot-com bubble blew up. And so In order for the Fed to get that high, they're going to have to start doing 50 basis 75 basis point rate hikes every single time they do a meeting for the next year or two. But again, that's not going to happen. And a lot of people are starting to recognize that. and That's why gold prices, although they slumped today, have been going up because people are starting to recognize that the Federal Reserve is never going to be able to normalize interest rates. And because they're never able to normalize interest rates, they're not going to be able to fight inflation. And another point that was actually brought up today on CNBC by one of the financial analysts on the halftime report, I forget her name, but she even said, if for every 1% rise in treasury yields that we get, that represents a $300 billion increase on the cost to service the national debt. Because the national debt is now above $30 trillion. And so for all of the bond yields, all of the bonds that are out there that are going to mature this year, for every 1% rise we get in yields on those treasury bonds, it's going to cost the government $300 billion in interest. And it's clearly unsustainable. Again, I've gone over before, but the federal government only collects right now $3 trillion in tax revenue. So if treasury yields were to go positive to 8%, we're talking about $2.5 trillion a year in interest payments alone when the government's only collecting $3 trillion in tax revenue and currently running a $3 trillion budget deficit per year. So again, the Federal Reserve cannot allow interest rates to rise because the the national government would default on its debt. And if interest rates rise and credit conditions tighten, so many Americans are going to default on their personal debts for credit cards, uh, car loans, student loans. The average car loan now is a six-year loan. And a lot of the sales for a lot of the companies that have done well over the past several years, most particularly the secular companies are their sales have been pulled forward because people have been buying on credit. And if those credit conditions tighten, the economy is going to go down the drain. Now, uh, I wanted to comment, though, on the halftime report that I was watching today. Jim Liebenthal, who is a current uh, regular guest on a lot of the halftime report shows, uh, was saying markets will be fine with rate hikes, that the rate hikes are already priced into the market and he couldn't have this more wrong. Now, remember, what was the goal of the Federal Reserve in 2009 when they started quantitative easing and brought interest rates all the way down to zero? The specific goal, as defined by the Fed Federal Chair Reserve, uh, uh, the Federal Reserve Chairman back then, Ben Bernanke, was to lower interest rates to stimulate the economy and to cause stock prices to go up. So if we take away that accommodative policy and raise interest rates back up to a normal level, clearly stock prices have to come down if the only reason that they've gone up over the past decade is because interest rates have been low. But again, he says the also the economy is still growing. The economy is not growing. The economy is starting to contract. And we see that, again, a lot of companies are missing earnings Uh, They're coming in with lower than expected earnings and revenues. And a big part of that is because the economy is slowing. Again, inflation is rising. Americans are continuing to stretch to try and make ends meet. And they're having a hard time uh, paying their bills. And that's why you see so many Americans now starting to reenter the labor market because they need more income to buy the things that they need. Again, food up 1%. Just on the month alone, that's an annualized 12% increase. The price of a used car up one and a half percent. Healthcare costs are going up. Uh, All costs are going up across the board. And a lot of Americans are really beginning to struggle. And again, most Americans are only making it because they're going on debt to pay most of their bills. And without being able to take on more and more debt, they can't make ends meet. Now, interestingly enough, on the halftime report, again, because inflation has been such a wide, widely discussed topic in the markets, a lot of people are asking financial analysts and portfolio managers what the best inflation plays are to include in your portfolio. Now, when Jim Liebenthal was asked what his inflation plays are, he mentioned Alaska Airlines. Now, the idea that someone is mentioning an airline company as an inflation hedge is completely ridiculous. When you want to hedge inflation, the idea of buying businesses is you want to own businesses in inflation environments that can easily pass on their costs to their customers, right? Now, those are most particularly consumer staple companies, companies that sell products to customers that people absolutely need to buy. They sell essential products and services that people have to buy regardless of what the economy is doing. Now, food is an example of that, energy, right? Regardless of what's going on in the economy, Americans have to eat. Regardless of what's going on in the economy, Americans have to heat their homes, right? Food and energy are consumer staples. Now, airlines, you know, airfare is not something that is, is needed for most Americans. Right. If you think about most uh, most airlines make their money with business travel, and businesses when we're in recessionary periods buckle down and tighten up on their spending and don't use as much business travel because of a tightening economy, and Americans don't take vacations when we're in times of recession. And believe me, recession is coming. But if we're having inflationary periods. It's the cyclical companies like the airlines that are going to have a very difficult time passing on their cost to customers. Now, another analyst, uh, I forget who this was, recommended Disney as an inflation hedge uh, to be a part of your portfolio. Now, Disney came out with earnings yesterday and they had a very big beat on their earnings report. And so the stock rallied significantly today, it was up over 6% on the highs, but A lot of people have this wrong. To say that Disney has pricing power is completely ridiculous. When there is a recession, one of the first things people stop doing, again, is taking vacations, right? going to places like Disney. They stop flying. These companies do not have real pricing power. The companies that have the real pricing power, again, are the consumer staples like Coca-Cola, like Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson. Companies that sell things that people must buy, regardless of their economic circumstances, those are the companies that can pass their cost on to their consumers. But yet again, everyone keeps recommending all these cyclical stocks that they think have pricing power and they don't have pricing power. Again, think of a, a company like, uh, like an airline, right? First of all, there are many different airlines that compete with each other. So if one airline raises their prices too much, that means people will choose a different airline to fly on. And again, if airline prices go up too much in general, many people will choose to just stay home instead of taking a vacation. It's not a necessity. And so therefore, they don't have pricing power. But to hear portfolio managers say that cyclical companies have pricing power, again, completely ridiculous. Even if the brand is strong, it doesn't give that company full pricing power. The way that other companies would have, like energy companies. Again, people have to drive. They're going to drive regardless of what's going on in the economy. And so whatever costs rise for oil companies, they can pass those costs on to consumers. Now, with that, I also want to continue to talk about the rotation that we've been seeing. I've been talking about how a lot of people, especially since the start of the year, have been selling the high-tech growth stocks and buying the more value-oriented stocks that have long track records for earnings and paid dividends. Now, if you look at the way the sectors perform today, the biggest sectors that were beaten up on the day were information technology, real estate, and consumer discretionary stocks, and consumer services as well. And again, the ones that held up the best were consumer staples, energy, Financials, healthcare, utilities, right? Again, these are the stocks with pricing power. These are the high dividend payers, and those are the stocks that people have been continuing to rotate their portfolios into. A lot of different stocks that have value oriented factors in them are continuing to do extremely well. And again, it's because we're in a high inflation environment and inflation is here to stay. In fact, we're just beginning the Uh, the the start of a long inflationary super cycle in the markets. And it's going to be here for years to stay. Because again, if the Fed's going to fight it, it's going to take them forever to get interest rates high enough to actually do anything about inflation. And for the factors I've mentioned, they're never going to get interest rates high enough to fight inflation. But a lot of people also are recommending the financials. And I keep hearing people say, That higher interest rates are good for banks because they can charge higher rates of interest on their loans and make more money. But again, a lot of people are not considering the biggest problems with the banks. Now, this, you know, going into the bursting of the housing bubble in 2008, all of the commentators were also recommending the banks. But one problem that no one's considering with the banks is. If interest rates rise, as many people expect they will, the banks will lose a lot of money because a lot of the assets that they own are going to lose their paper value. A lot of the loans that they've already made out will be defaulted on. And so if interest rates rise significantly, the banks will actually do very poorly. So that is not somewhere where you want to be as an inflation hedge in your portfolio because, again, the banks need asset prices to stay elevated, which cannot happen if interest rates rise. Now, of all the four portfolio managers on the halftime report, not a single one of them recommended a gold mining company or precious metal stock as an inflation hedge, which is, again, completely ridiculous. The best inflation hedge that is out there is gold, And energy. Now, a lot of them to their credit did recommend energy stocks, but again, why would you not recommend gold as an inflation hedge if we're going to have higher inflation? Why would you not want to own a gold mining company that has exposure to those higher gold prices and can benefit from higher prices in general? Again, you go back to the 1970s when we went off the gold standard in 1971. Gold went from $35 an ounce to over $800 an ounce by the end of the decade when we reached the 1980s and interest rates went all the way up to 20%. In an inflationary environment, gold is the best inflation hedge, but even more so, gold mining stocks are even better inflationary hedges. And that's where you want to be. Again, I continue to say that, but again, everyone continues to ignore the gold sector for whatever reason nobody wants to buy any of these stocks but again the gold that these stocks own that's already in the ground is going to go up in value dramatically and that makes these gold mining stocks very very good buys and also with the rotation that we have again coming out of the high tech growth stocks that have been getting killed over the past month we also see a rotation out of united states stocks into global markets now again If you look at the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ on the day, the S&P 500 was down 1.8% today, the NASDAQ down over 2% on the day. If you look at other stocks around the world, the Eurozone was flat, Germany had a slight gain, Canada was flat, the United Kingdom had a half a percent gain, uh, China was flat on the day, Japan had a half a percent gain, Singapore flat on the day. Again, all of these other global markets are holding up very, very well as United States markets continue to sell off. And again, because more of the value-oriented stocks are located all over the world and not in the United States. And that's because the United States has been in a bubble economy for so long. So many people have been buying up the tech stocks and the high, highly speculative growth stocks and ignoring value stocks. But again, that is changing. If you own international stocks and you own value stocks, your portfolio is actually doing very well this year, while Americans' portfolios are in correction territory and heading towards a bear market. And even if you look at growth names around the rest of the world, they're starting to recover nicely. Look at Alibaba over the last week, up 1%. And again, that's as the NASDAQ has down uh, almost 5% on the week. Look at Baidu, Baidu up 6.5% this week, right? Again, again, if you look at the uh, iShares MSCI International Value Factor ETF, that ETF is up 2.5% on the week. That's an ETF that gives over a 3.5% dividend yield. Again, that's a huge move for such high dividend paying stocks. And again, it's because investors are rotating into these stocks because of the high amount of inflation that they're going to see. Now, with that, again, gold is about steady on the week. It's about where it began the week. So is silver. But one of the metals that is up highly this week is copper. Now, if you look at Freeport-McMoran, which is one of the biggest copper miners in the world, that stock is up over 15% on the week, and that is with a 3% Uh, declined today. So copper prices on the day at the highs were up almost 5%. Now, after Bullard's comments, which I'm going to get into in a minute, uh, copper prices fell along with other precious metals. But again, inflation is occurring everywhere. It's occurring in the precious metals market. It's occurring in all commodities markets, agriculture, right? All sorts of crops, all sorts of uh, meat, uh, dairy, food in general, everything is going up and inflation is showing no signs of stopping. The trend is up and to the right. Inflation is going to continue to pick up. But getting back to the Federal Reserve and the box they're in, a few hours after the CPI data released today, Uh, The Fed's James Bullard came out and made comments that he believes the Fed needs to step in immediately with a 50 basis point rate hike and that they should do it prior to their next meeting. Now, it's not typical for the Federal Reserve to change interest rate policy in the middle of their meetings. If they were to do that, that would constitute an emergency. Now, if the Fed was to do that, it would actually be an admission. That the, by the Fed, that they are way behind the inflation curve. Now, everyone knows they're behind the inflation curve. At this point, it's very obvious, but they almost don't want to admit their mistake. But James Bullard is one of the more hawkish Fed members, and it's very telling that he's only advocating for a 50 basis point rate hike. Now, again, if you go back to what he said, he is looking to have interest rates uh, reach 1% by July. Now, it's general consensus in the Federal Reserve that interest rates should be at 1% by the end of 2022. So he wants that to happen twice as quickly as the rest of the Federal Reserve members. But again, that is not going to do anything. If he was a real hawk in the Federal Reserve, he would be advocating for raising interest rates by the end of the year to at least 4% or 5%, so that by 2023, the Federal Reserve could have interest rates. Uh, well above the inflation rate and, and in positive territory. But again, 50 basis points is going to do nothing to slow this inflation down. Because again, in order to slow inflation down, you have to have positive real interest rates. If we have 1% interest rates by July and inflation is 7.5%, and that's assuming inflation doesn't pick up anymore by July, which it will, then real negative interest rates, real interest rates would be 6.5%. And again, that just means more and more inflation. So the Fed needs to do many more rate hikes and at a much higher pace than just 50 basis points because of how far behind the inflation curve they actually are. And remember, the Federal Reserve is still printing money. They're still buying bonds. They're still buying mortgage-backed securities. They haven't even raised interest rates by a quarter percent yet. And the markets are selling off because they're so scared that the Federal Reserve will raise rates by a half a percent, which again will do nothing for inflation. The markets need to figure out that there is nothing that, the, that, that they're going to be able to do to stop inflation. It is going to occur, and that is why it's important to position yourself not only in value stocks, but also in emerging market stocks, because you need to get out of the U.S. because the U.S. is going to have an inflation problem for the next decade to come. But one point that I also wanted to make about Freeport-McMoran is it's doing very well. Again, the stock's up 15% this week because not only are we seeing the beginning of a commodity super cycle because of inflation, but also demand for copper and a lot of other metals like uh, lead, uh, aluminum, um, zinc, nickel, is the big boom in electric vehicles, right? A lot of people have been buying up these electric vehicle stocks over the past few years because they believe that the auto market is going to completely transition to the electric vehicle space. And that may, may very well be true. I certainly think that the overall auto market is going to convert mostly to electric vehicles in the next decade. But... What's more important to understand is a lot of these electric vehicles, mainly, mostly all of them need copper, need metals to make these products. And so you want to not just focus on the EV companies themselves that are unprofitable and not making any money when you can own the companies that mine the materials that are needed to make the vehicles. And so there's an old saying, you don't want to dig for gold. You want to sell shovels. And by owning, in retrospect, a lot of these companies that mine materials out of the ground like copper, you are doing just that because you own profitable companies that are mining materials that are getting more and more expensive in price and taking advantage of the move to electric vehicles and not participating in buying a very highly speculative stock that is producing vehicles uh, at a higher cost than they're selling them for, and that may very well never make money. But again, a lot of these material stocks are going to do extremely well in an inflationary environment because commodities prices are going up. And again, these companies have pricing power over their customers. Now, I want to wrap up the podcast on a lighter note. It is Super Bowl Sunday coming up this weekend. Um, Personally, I'm looking for the Bengals to win this one. Uh, I like Joe Burrow. I think he's having an amazing season. Uh, Incredibly young team. But I think it's going to be a great Super Bowl. Uh, Both teams are very evenly matched. We'll see if the offensive line of the Bengals can hold up against the Rams defensive line. I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for them. But it should be a close game. should be exciting. And with that, I just want to talk about, again... The sports gambling stocks. Now, again, a lot of bonuses are being shelled out by the gambling stocks to try and gain customers for the Super Bowl. And again, it shows a big flaw in this industry because there is so much competition. I can't even keep count of how many online sports books there are to place bets. There's got to be at least 40 or 50 of them, if not more. And again, a lot of these companies are competing for the same customer. So they're shelling out huge bonuses to try and attract customers to our platform. And I know so many people who are just signing up for accounts with different sports books to just get the welcome bonuses and the promotion bonuses to sign up for accounts. And they're just jumping from sports book to sports book to sports book. None of these sports books have sticky platforms, they're all the same. And There's not much of a barrier to entry here. And again, I just hate this sector overall. And one of the problems with it, again, I've explained before, but the sports book is the least profitable part of any casino. And with that, again, a lot of these sports books, because they're competing for the same customers, have to run so many ads to try and get customers It's very expensive to acquire a customer and those customers don't even stay because again, they just jump from platform to platform to get the welcome bonus for uh, different sports books that are offering it. Um, A lot of sports books, I know FanDuel and DraftKings are offering a $280 payout on a $5 bet for the Super Bowl. Um, But again, this is a very, very uh, saturated sector. Um, I would not buy any of these stocks. Uh, a lot of them, again, they're competing for the same customer. But also, one of the things with the online sports books is the government's using it to extract taxes because it's all, uh, all of the information is being saved. If you're one of the rare people who actually does make money on your sports betting by the end of the year, you have to report that on your income taxes and pay taxes on your winnings. And so for that reason, a lot of people are still choosing not to even use these platforms and still a majority of people that bet on sports are doing it in the black market because they don't want to pay taxes on their winnings if they have any. And so there's no reason for why, even if we get, the, get more states to legalize sports gambling, there's no reason these companies are going to grow in the future because again, most of their Clients do not bring them profits because they just go from platform to platform. And again, even the clients that they do have that stick around and use their sites for a long period of time, the profit margin on those customers is only 6%. And again, it's extremely expensive for them to acquire those clients. So it's just a point I wanted to bring up. Now we have Caesars uh, Entertainment's going to report in a few weeks. Their stock's actually up 10 to 15% over the last week as well. But again, I expect a lot of these stocks to take each other out because again, they're all tons of businesses that are competing for very few customers. Again, sports gambling is still only legalized in 11 states. And even if they legalize them in more states, it's going to take years and years for these companies to become profitable on a state-by-state basis. Even DraftKings CEO, was on CNBC Today talking about this. And he said that by the time a state legalizes sports gambling, it takes DraftKings three years to become profitable in that state once the, the uh, sports gambling is legalized. And again, even once they become profitable, they still only run 6% profit margins. So I hope everyone enjoys the Super Bowl. We'll be back on Monday. We'll see what happens in the markets tomorrow. Again, stocks sold off into the close, especially the NASDAQ and the tech stocks and the growth stocks. I expect that to continue into tomorrow and most likely into next week. Don't think we're out of the woods yet for a lot of these high-tech growth stocks. I think they have a long way to fall. And I think value stocks are going to continue to pick up steam heading towards the upside. And I think inflation is going to continue to rise and rise we may get an announcement in the next few weeks from the Federal Reserve on interest rates. But again, if they decide to start raising interest rates, even if they wait until March as initially planned to start raising interest rates, there's no way they're ever going to get back to a normalized level. And again, the sooner they try and start this inflation fight, the sooner they're going to lose the inflation fight and the quicker the markets are going to figure out that inflation is here to stay. And that they need to buy real inflation hedges, which again, are not consumer discretionary stocks that sell things that people want, but they are consumer staple stocks that sell things that people need.